My daughter's favorite thing to do is climb up on our bed and play hide-and-go-seek. Now, she's not allowed to go on the bed by herself, so usually it's uh, her mom or I that go that have to go under the covers and play hide-and-go-seek with her. So you can imagine what it's like. Her and I, like this this bed that's made, and then like these two lumps. That's pretty much like what it looks like. But then what she does is she hides. She says, we have to get under the covers, and then she says, Papi, hiding. So then we're hiding, and then she pops her head out, and she says, Mommy, find us. Then she hides under the covers. So Carrie comes in playing along, and then she says, Hmm, where are they? Are they in the bathroom? And you hear, and Mia goes, No. Are they in the closet? And she goes, No bed. And so then she Carrie takes the covers off. We tickle her for the next ten minutes until she can't breathe. Um, but so but the rule is this: like we play. That's like her favorite thing to do. But she's not allowed to to go on the bed by herself. Now, she has this little step stool in her bathroom that allows her to reach. Uh, the, um, the, the sink so she can brush her teeth or at least what she considers to be brushing her teeth and then, or washing her hands or whatever. But the other day, this is, uh, last week, she gets this idea. Like, I don't know how all she made the connection, but she made the connection that if this little step stool allows me to reach the sink, I wonder if this step stool would allow me to climb up on the bed by myself. So, so she's in the bathroom and then she, she picks up the step stool and walks out with it. Uh, like on her way to our bedroom. And then I'm in my office taking care of a couple of things. Carrie's in the kitchen uh, uh, getting some some dinner ready. And then we just see her walking. Now, this is not really uncommon because she's always walking around with stuff that's not really supposed to go in the place that it goes. So she's taking the step stool and she's walking around with it. She takes it into our bedroom. But then here's what we hear. We hear, I did it! I did it! And so we walk into... Uh, the, the, the bedroom and Carrie and I walk in and we see her standing like this uh, on top of the bed like Rocky. You know, I did it! I did it, Mommy, Poppy! I did it! Or as when she sees both of us and she gets excited, she says, Moppy! Uh, you know, so she's very excited that she did it. Now then, when she sees us and she starts getting excited, then she starts jumping up and down. She says, Mia jumps. So she starts jumping up and down and we're explaining to her this is not a good idea because she's been, we tell her that she's, she can play on the bed, but she can't jump on the bed because then people fall off and get bruises and blood and whatever. So we told her no, no jumping on the bed. Well, she starts jumping on the bed. Well, my wife kind of has this sense that like something bad is going to happen. So she starts moving towards her. Well, right as my daughter kind of makes a jump, then she makes another jump, and then she falls off the bed. But somehow, and this, I'm telling you, you may not even believe me. I wish I had it on video. My wife jumps and dives and catches my daughter before she falls. I've never seen a seven and a half month pregnant woman move so fast. I mean, it was like center fielder for a baseball team, you know, making the diving catch. She dives, you know, I mean, she didn't like, she wasn't fully sprawled out, but she runs, she catches Mia before she falls. And then we have to sit down and explain to her, like, this is why you're not allowed to jump uh, on the bed. Now, the thing is this. And that, so we have to have like this conversation about the rules. And, and, and I tell you the story to tell you this, is that sometimes people have this idea about God, that God sets up these rules and really the rules are there simply to spoil our fun because that's how God gets his joy is out of spoiling everybody else's joy. And I want to tell you that it's not true. And in fact, what I contend is that it's just the opposite, that people have more fun, more fulfillment and more joy in their life when they simply obey what God has said all along. 
In fact, what I want to do is, you'll see in the message notes that we gave you, a fairly long passage in the book of Deuteronomy. And I want to read it to you because I think it gives you the contrast as to what happens when we obey the Lord and what happens when we don't. Now check this out. Uh, this is Moses speaking to the people. He says, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you'll have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us that we may obey it. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord, your God. To walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient and you are drawn away to bow down to other gods or worship them, I will declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. If you pause there and give me your attention, you see, God gives us this incredible warning, this incredible instruction, telling us that the very best possible life is available if we follow him. But if we decide not to, then the only thing that really we can be assured of is that there's going to be destruction and death that follow us when we walk away from the Lord. Now, here's why I'm saying all of this by way of introduction, and it's really important for us to note is because we're about to delve into a section of the book of Revelation where we're going to see God's wrath poured out upon the earth. A period of time that if you've been with us uh, for any of this series, that we're call- that's, been, that's in the scriptures called the Great Tribulation. Now it's important for us to note that it's not, God is not pouring out His wrath because He hates these people. God is not getting joy out of punishing these people. Instead, God's desire, just like any loving father's desire, is that discipline will produce repentance and right behavior. And in the same way, that's God's desire as well. In fact, in the book of Ezekiel, God would say it this way. He says, do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. So I believe that over the next few weeks, that's a perspective that we need to maintain uh, as we look at these these next few chapters, is that God is a loving Father, and sometimes even loving fathers, when they set the parameters, and we go outside of those parameters, that discipline needs to take place. So I want to encourage you to open your Bible, if you would, to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. And we're starting, or not starting, but we're in a series that's called, It's the End of the World as We Know It. And we're working our way verse by verse through the book of Revelation. And when we're making our initial descent, we've given you all the preliminaries. And now we're making our descent into the great tribulation that sets the scene up for the return of Jesus Christ. Now, as it's, we set the scene up for the, for the return of Jesus, here's the thing that we have to understand. Is that what we're going to see today is... The opening of this scroll, now if you're unaware as to what that all means, I'd encourage you to get the messages in chapter 5 that explain that. But the scrolls represent, the scroll represents the title deed to planet earth. 
And for Jesus to return, he's got to open these scrolls and, and open the scroll, loose the seals, which now release all of this judgment, all this crazy stuff that's going to happen on the earth, which now sets the scene for him and sets the stage for him to return. But here's the thing. Even though all of this is future, even though all of this takes place after the rapture of the church, when the church is taken out, I believe that there's still incredible application for you and for me, because I believe that all of this has to do with our relationship with God, if we're going to um, look at the text and say, what does it really mean to me? How does it really, how does it speak to me? I believe that we look at each of these scrolls and each of, each of these seals, I should say, if we answer a question, I believe that it'll speak something to us. So let's look at chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And it says, Now I saw when the Lamb had opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. And if you pause there and give me your attention, what's the first thing that we note? If you're taking notes uh, in your outline, the first thing, the first question that we have to answer is, who do you want to lead you? Who do you want to lead you? Now, that's an important question for us to ask. And what I need to do is kind of set the scene as to why there's this leader that's going to come on the scene. And it has much to do with what's taking place on uh, the earth at this time. Now, let me explain it to you by telling you this story. A few years ago, I was on my way back from California from attending uh, a conference. Uh, and this is before we started the church. I was running a college at the time. And so I was on my way back to uh, the college. And so they had this. I had finished reading the book that I was reading on the plane. And so um, they had this movie on. And so I grabbed my headphones and I, put, I plugged it in, you know, as you were able to do. And so I showed the movie. Now, it was a, I don't remember exactly what movie it was, but I do remember that I really liked it. In fact, I remembered that not only did I really like it, but it was like a really clean movie. There was no cussing. There was no nudity, no like extreme violence or anything. So it was a really clean movie, like the kind of movie you could take, you know, like, you know, your, your family to or, you know, some kids or whatever. And I thought, man, that's, that's a great thing. So I get back into my office. And uh, someone that I knew pretty well that I worked with, had, we started talking about movies. And he said, you know, I want to take, he had three kids raging from like, um, at that time, I think it was like from 8 to 14. Things right around there. And he says to me, he says, man, I want to take my kids to a movie. Do you have a recommendation? I said, man, I just saw this movie the other day. You should go, you should go, you should take, the, take them to go see it. And he says, man, that's what I'm going to do. So he takes, he takes his whole family to go see this movie a few days later. He comes back into my office after he sees the movie, and he closes the door and he says, why did you recommend that movie to me? And I said, what are you talking about? And he says, Bob, that movie was filled with cussing. There was nudity. There was violence. I mean, there was like all this stuff. And I'm, I've got to explain this to like my eight-year-old. What's going on? And I'm like, hold on, did you, did you go to the movie I told you to see? And I told him the name of the movie. And he's like, that's the movie that I saw. And I said, I, there was none of that in, in when I saw the movie. And he says, where did you see it? And I said, I saw it on the plane. And, and he stops and he goes, Bob, don't you know that they edit those movies on the plane? <laughs> that they take out all the nudity, all the cussing, all the violence because they make it, so because they know the people of all ages are going to see it. And I said, you know, I, I didn't know that. Uh, that's noted now for next time. And he says, well, listen, don't worry about it. I mean, I, he had no idea, but do me a favor. Just steer clear of my wife for the next week because she's still upset with you. So anyway, it's been like 10 years, still steering clear. Um, but here's why I say all of that. I say all of that because the world in which we live in is a world that's 
somewhat filtered. Now, you'd say, this is filtered? I mean, all the crazy stuff that's going on, you consider this filtered? Yes, because the, the, the Bible talks about there being, there being this restraining force. The restraining force is the Spirit of God working through the church. And what's going to happen is that after the rapture of the church, the church is taken out. Now, everybody's going to be able to live this unfiltered, uncensored life that they've wanted to live. I mean, like, think about it. The world in which we live in, did anybody ever think, I mean, I don't think I, I did, did anybody ever think that we'd have to actually define what marriage is? Like, this is what the word actually means. And I mean, I don't think anybody thought that that would really be the case, and yet that's where, where we're living. And you say, well, why is that? It's because there's this filtered versus unfiltered battle that's, that's taking place. And so the issue is this, is that once the church is taken off the scene, there's going to become a leader on the scene that's going to speak and it's going to kind of rally the people and give them the kind of uncensored, unfiltered life that they've wanted to live. In fact, Jesus would talk about this person this way. He would say, I have come in my father's name and speak for him and you don't accept me. But when another person comes speaking only for himself, you will accept him. And so this person enters, and in the text that we read, I want you to notice carefully, because we're going to look at several different things about him that speak to us about who he is and his character. We read about that he shows up on a white horse, he's got a bow, and he's got a crown on his head, and he goes out conquering and to conquer. Now, why does he show up on a white horse? speaks of the fact that he's a king. When a white horse shows up, it means that the king is going to conquer. But it says that he has a bow. But notice that he doesn't have any arrows, which tells us a little bit about what he's intending to do and that he's intending to conquer without the use of force. Now, we say, how do I, how do I know that? Uh, there's, let me kind of take this a little bit, you know, to like, let's peel the onion a little bit. Um, for those of you that are Bible students, let me give you a principle for interpreting the Bible. One of the principles for interpreting the Bible is what's called the principle of first mention. And that is, when you see when a word is mentioned the first time in the Scriptures, Many times it unlocks what that word's true meaning is throughout the Bible. So when you think about this word bow, where does this word bow show up in the original language for the first time? It shows up for the first time in the book of Genesis, in chapter 9, where after the flood has taken place, God says, I have set my bow in the clouds. That is a promise to the people that I'm never going to flood the earth. And so this bow not only speaks of peace, that God's not going to flood the earth, but it speaks of a promise. And so the idea is, is that that this person shows up, this person, Antichrist, shows up on the scene conquering and to conquer, but not through military means. Instead, he shows up conquering with this idea of promises of a better life, that things are going to be much better than they are. Now, this is important for us to understand, because Antichrist doesn't simply mean against Christ. In fact, the word can also be translated in place of Christ. Now, that's hugely important for us, because while I think that many people aren't necessarily following Antichrist, so to speak, in the sense that they are, uh, you know, like worshiping Satan. That's not essentially what I think it means. I think what it means is, is that they're following someone else as opposed to Jesus. In fact, in the book of 1 John, listen to what it says. It says, Dear children, the last hour is here. And you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. For from this we know that the last hour has come. So think about it. He shows up on a white horse with false peace. He's got a crown on his head. And by the way, the crown is not the kind of crown that a king would have. It's the crown that someone who was a victor in a 
like in the Olympics and in, in, in a race would have. It's just, it's a, he's a counterfeit. If you read Revelation 19, when Jesus comes back, he's on a white horse. He's got a re- many crowns on his head. He doesn't have the bow. Instead, he's got a sword. But he shows up as this, this fake version of the real thing who is Jesus. But the question that I had us ask, and you say, well, that's future. What does it mean for now? What it means for now simply is this. It, 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 we have to answer the question, who do we want to lead us? Now, the reason why that's important is if, if Jesus is the one that we want to lead us, then it's really we show that through our obedience to him that we want him to lead us. In fact, Jesus would say it this way. He, he would say it. Now, if you know these things, that is the commands of God, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. And see, so that's why, as we mentioned, as John mentions, this idea of following Antichrist really has, has nothing to do with, you know, oh, I, I love Satan, I love the devil. It's nothing to do with that. It has to do with that I put someone else, something else, that I follow that in place of following Jesus. You see, here's how you can always tell. If you or I or somebody else is, is following Jesus or, or something else or someone else. When we hear the commands of God and we add two words, yeah, but. Yeah, but. You see... I know what the Bible says about, you know, living together until we get married. Yeah, but my situation's a little different. You see, I know how God has, you know, reserved sex for marriage. Yeah, but my situation, you know, you've got to understand, it's, it's, it's unique. You know, well, you've got to understand, I mean, you know, the Bible, you know, talks about giving to Caesar what's Caesar's, giving to God what's God's, about paying taxes and, and, and you know, being honest in your dealings. And I, listen, yeah, but, you know, being paid under the table is a little bit better. Yeah, but you see, what, you see what's happening? What's happening is we understand what God has to say, and I can either follow that, or I can choose to not really believe that the life that God has for me is good. It's what we talked about before. It's this idea of that God, see, God sets up his commands to spoil my fun. But maybe... God sets up his commands because if we follow them, that's where life is really found. And if we're going to really follow the Lord, then here's what it needs to take. It takes us saying, you know what, I'm throwing out all of my excuses and I'm simply going to follow him. In fact, Joshua would say this in Joshua 24, it's in your notes. He says, then Joshua said to the people, now respect the Lord and serve him fully and and sincerely. Throw away the gods that your ancestors worshipped on the other side of the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. But if you don't want to serve the Lord, you must choose for yourselves today who you will serve. You may serve the gods that your ancestors worshipped when they lived on the other side of the Euphrates River, or you may serve the gods of the Amorites who lived in this land. And as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. You see, the choice is ours. We have the opportunity to decide who it is that we're going to serve. To say, oh, I serve the Lord, but I don't really do anything that he says. That's a contradiction in terms. Instead, we decide by our actions who it is that we serve. These people during this time, they're throwing off. We don't want to have anything to do uh, with, with God. And so we want this other person to lead us. And here's what they think. He promises peace, thinking that he's going to bring peace. But look at what happens in the next two verses. If you check out verse 3 and 4 uh, of our text, here's what it says. It says, and when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great 
sword. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, the second question that we need to ask ourselves is this. The first was, who do we want to lead? Who do you want to lead you? The second is, how do you handle conflict? How do you handle conflict? What's amazing to me is that Antichrist shows up on the scene promising peace, but the only thing that follows is war, death, and destruction. You see, and that's just the way that it works. When I decide to follow someone other than Jesus, there's always the promise that it's going to be better. And it always ends up in conflict and in pain. I mean, think about this for a moment. Most of us know this stat, that you know, one out of two marriages don't make it. In fact, the newest stats that I read are that 52% of people who get married get divorced. So we've crossed that 50% barrier. 52% of people who get married get divorced. But this is the stat that most people, uh, that they don't really talk about in the media, which I think is even more important. Now listen to this stat. A couple, a married couple that attend church regularly, regularly, like weekly, that pray together in their home that read the Bible regularly in their home and are involved in church and serving and volunteering regularly. You know what the stats are for divorce for couples like that? One in 1,052. i got to tell you, those are better odds. Why? Because these couples have decided that they're going to follow Jesus. And when they do, something different happens. It's not that they don't have conflict, it's that they know how to handle it. It's not that there isn't pain in their lives at times, it's that they know how to handle it. You see, and that's really, the key is, is that everybody has conflict, but not everybody knows how to handle it. And most people don't even know what the root cause of conflict is. In fact, James talks about that in James chapter 4 in your notes. Here's what he says. He says, do you know where fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that war within you. You want things, but you don't have them. So you're ready to kill and are jealous of other people, but you cannot get what you want. So you argue and fight. You do not get what you want because you do not ask God, and or when you ask, you do not receive because the reason you ask is wrong. You want things so that you can use them for your own pleasure. You see... Conflict and war and difficulties like this are always, almost always rooted in selfishness. You see, I, I, I've met with a lot of couples in my years as, as a minister, and, and here's the thing that I've never seen happen. I've never seen someone, a couple sit down and say, Pastor, here's what our problem is. Our problem is, is that he's too nice. I mean, he just goes above and beyond what's expected of him. He's so great to me. He's so great to the kids. And I want to tell you, it's disgusting. Never had that. I've never had him say, Pastor, here's our problem. She's so loving. She's so encouraging. She's so sweet. And it's sick. Never had that. Never had that. Instead, here's what I, here's what usually has it when we, you know, he doesn't do this, she doesn't do that, he does this, she does that. Here's what it usually comes down to. I have expectations of how I want my life to be, and he's not making my life the way I want it to be, because really this marriage is about me, and because it, it doesn't happen, that's why we're having conflict. Yet here's the contrarian wisdom of the kingdom of God. Is what Jesus would say in, in Mark chapter, chapter 8. He says, if anyone would come after me, that is, if anyone would would follow me, if anyone would allow me to lead them, Jesus is saying, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see what happens there? You see, things totally change. The wisdom here is that when I decide to sacrifice for the sake of 
this person, this person that I'm married to, here's what takes place. What happens is the thing that I desired all along, I end up getting, but I end up getting it not the way by demanding it. I get it by simply allowing the other person to have what God wants them to have, which is a loving spouse, which is an encouraging spouse, which is a spouse that sacrifices on their behalf. Now, here's what happens. But when I decide that I'm just going to demand it and take it, I never really get it. You ever try to save time, and by the time you try to save time, you end up losing more time? So it happened to me. I was in Orlando last month. I was at a conference, and um, I was running late to uh, to get back from, from lunch. I, I, was, I, had, uh, I was meeting with some friends, and so um, I was racing back, and I blew through this light, to be real honest. And, um, and I'm like, but I'm really busy. Well, I get a letter in the mail when I get home from the city of Orlando, and they don't usually contact me very often. Um, and it says, you know, hey, at this date, at this time, you you ran you ran a light, and we're giving you we're mailing this to you as a ticket. And I thought, oh, give me a break! Like anybody even saw that? Flip the page. Three pictures. Picture of me as I'm getting to the light. Picture of me at the light. Picture of me blowing through the light. So my wife says, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to fight it. She says, the pictures are there. This evidence is, you, you can't argue this evidence. And I'm like, you watch me argue this evidence. You don't have, you have no idea my skills. And uh, I said, and I, so I give her this whole thing. She's like, Bob, just pay the ticket. And I'm like, I'm not paying the ticket, you know. And so I'm giving this whole thing about why I'm not going to do it. And then, so I go on the website because it says, you know, that you can pay the ticket or you can, you know, make your claim or whatever. So I go on the website and then after you enter the citation number, it takes you to the pictures. And then it says this, click here to watch the video. <laughs> I wish I was making this up because this is too expensive of an illustration. Um, so what happens is this, is that so I'm too curious. So I click on the video and it's a picture of me. In my car. And here I am, slowing down, and then just blowing through the light. And, and, and then, you know, and then, it, and then afterwards it says, would you like to watch it again? <laughs> no, I'll pay the stupid ticket. It's over. You know, and, and I'm telling you, I tell you this to say this. This is the same thing that happens in relationships when it comes to conflict. Hey, the light is green for them. No, no, no. I don't care what it is for them. I've got somewhere to go. I've got places to be. I, this is really all about me. That whole intersection, everybody's life, it was really all about me that day because I wasn't managing my time well and I was running late. And so what happens is this. Listen, the same thing happens in relationships. When I decide who's going to lead me, I decide Jesus is going to lead me. And if that's the case, we talked about this at the relationship forum uh, for quite a while. But the idea was um, uh, this, this past Friday, but the, the whole thing was this is that the call to a husband, the call to a wife really comes down to one word to sacrifice for each other. And when you do, you get the thing that you desired all along. And so, but when I decide that that's not going to be the case, and I decide to follow someone other than Jesus, thinking that that's going to bring me what I want, it only brings conflict, it only brings pain, it only brings destruction, but then it brings something else. Look at verse 5, as we see the third seal get opened. It says, And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, uh, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a black horse... And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius 
And do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, I know this is a little bit confusing. And if you've, you're kind of following this, it's like, you know, this is these first four seals are what are called the four horsemen of the apocalypse because they're the ones that kind of bring in this whole apocalyptic scenario. But the questions that we've been asking are, you know, who do you want to lead you? How do you handle conflict? But the third question that all of these people have to answer and that we have to answer is, where do you go in financial crisis? Where do you go in financial crisis? The third rider shows up and he's holding scales in his hand. Now, why is that so important? Because scales are how you measured everything. If you were going to buy flour, you put the flour on one side and then you put the other measure on the other side. And when they equaled out, you traded one for the other. And so that's why these scales represent these rising prices. That's why he says a quart of wheat for a denarius. Now, what is a denarius? It's, it's, it's the fill-in in your outline. A denarius is a day's wage. So think about what you make. Divide it by five, five days a week. That's what it's costing for a loaf of bread. So let's say somebody, let's make the math easy. Somebody makes $1,000 a week. And then, uh, so now you divide that by five. That's 200 bucks for a loaf of bread. I'm telling you, it's not going to make for a good meal. You're going to get indigestion when you think about how much you're paying per slice. Um, that's why he also mentions three quarts of barley for a denarius. Well, why is that? Because barley is what was used in that, in that culture to feed animals. And so you have people that are saying, we can't even afford to eat what like regular people eat. And so now we're eating what animals eat because that's the best that we can do. And so it begs the question, and what's amazing to me is that these people just refuse to turn from God, to turn to God. Because they've decided we are going to follow this other person. We're not going to follow Jesus. We have nothing to do with God. And so then what happens is they enter financial crisis and they don't know where to go. But see, it begs the question for us is that where do we go in financial crisis? You see, listen to the promise that believers have who honor God. Here's what it says. He says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's a great promise that God will meet all of my needs according to his glorious riches. And the promise that I have is that if I have honored God with my finances, that his promises is that I don't have anything to worry about because now it's his responsibility. You see, um, I've referenced this passage and I've read the whole passage in in Malachi chapter three. And you can read that later uh, on your own. But I want to focus in on two verses in particular that really... um, Talk about this particular point about when I do my part, God then does his part and provides for me in ways that I had no ability to provide for myself. And this is in your outline in Malachi chapter three. He says, bring the full tithe into the temple treasury so there will be ample provisions in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. Now, here's the key for my part. God says. I will defend you against marauders, protect your wheat fields and garden uh, and vegetable gardens against plunderers. Now, understand that in an agrarian culture, that is an amazing promise that he says, while everybody else's crops are being eaten and wasting away, if you will honor me with the first part, the tithe, 10 percent of your finances, I will bless in such a way so that 90 percent goes a lot further than 100. Now, listen, that's an amazing promise. And it's a cause and effect that when I do my part, God then does his part. But please understand, please understand that God, being the perfect gentleman, doesn't impose himself on anybody's financial world. 
Instead, here's what God does. What God does is that if we say, you know what, God, I hear what the scriptures have to say, and I'm not going to do it because I believe that really what you're trying to do is spoil my fun. So I'm essentially going to follow somebody else when it comes to what I do with my money. Then here's what God says. Okay. Okay, then you can do that. I don't know where you're going to go in times of financial crisis, but you can do that. But see, then what happens is this, and this is what what we do sometimes, is that then financial crisis hits, and then we say, I don't know why God is doing this to me. You see, it's not his fault. We told him we want him out of our financial world, and so he says, okay, I'm out. And now it's up to you if you're going to handle this, take care of this, whatever you're going to do in this, but we can't have it both ways. If you're going to allow God to lead your financial world, yeah, but doesn't work. I know what God says, but, you know, my situation is different. No, our situation isn't different. And I can tell you this. I mean, I talk to a lot of people. And I've talked to people that have lost their jobs and yet have been very faithful uh, to, to give to the Lord. Can I just tell you this? That um, the, the, these people, they just know. There's this confidence that they have, a peace that they have. And here's why. They say, you know, God's always taking care of me. And I know that God's going to continue to take care of me. And I know that when this part of the story, you know, when this chapter ends and the new chapter begins, that God is, is, going, to, is, is going to take care of me. And yet there's this other group at times, and, and here's what happens. They haven't honored God. They've shut God out of their financial world, and then here's what takes place. They're angry. They're stressed out. They're frustrated. And it's like, well, well how does that happen? Well, it's because there's no confidence that God is going to do what He promised to do because if I've shut God out, then now I'm on my own. And people, if you haven't honored God with your finances, you recognize that, that until you do allow God in, that, that you are on your own. You see, listen to what the book of Haggai says. This is such an amazing... The verse gives us such a picture. He says this, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Now, I want you to think about that and how picturesque that is. I have a a pair of shorts in my home. It's like my favorite pair of shorts that I have. And in, in this pocket, which is where I keep stuff, um, it has a hole in it. And I just, Carrie keeps saying, why don't you just tell me and I'll sew it. And I just always forget. But every time we go out somewhere and I'm wearing these shorts and I get changed for something, I put the change in my pocket. And sure enough, after about, I don't know, five steps, all the change starts, you know, going out of, of, of my pocket. And so now I've got all this, like, you know, I've got like $8 and quarters that are like leaking out, uh, out, of, my, out of my pocket because I just, you know, I, I haven't fixed the, the, the hole. And so my daughter loves it because she says, oh, circles, circles. You know, and she picks them up. She has like this little pocket like this. And so she just, you know, she has like this bulge of like nickels and dimes that are all in there because they've fallen out of Poppy's, uh, out of Poppy's pocket. But the idea is the same thing, is that when I don't honor God, here's what happens. I put something in the pocket and it's, it's like it's got a hole in it and it just keeps going out. And I put something in the pocket and it keeps going out. And here's what God says. Instead of living like that, well, you've got a pocket with a hole in it. Instead, why don't you honor me? And, and when God says, as you honor me, here's what I'll do. The 90% that's left will reach far further, much further than the 100. Now, I want you to take out your connection card for a second. And here's what I suggest. In that passage that we read in your outline, he says this, bring the full tithe into the temple so there will be ample provisions. 
And then he says, test me in this. You know, the Bible says not to test God, except in this one passage in the scriptures when it comes to honoring God with your finances. And here's what we do. On the back of your connection card, you see it says, take the 90-day tithe challenge. And this is the reason why we do this is because what, 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 here's what the, the challenge is, that for 90 days you commit to saying, I'm going to bring the full tithe and see what God does. To see if God won't open the windows of heaven, if I can trust him with 10, and then to see him bless the 90 even further than, than uh, I could ever stretch it out, ever stretch the 100 out to go. Now, here's the thing. We've, we've done this for the last couple of years, and I can just tell you with absolute confidence, I just see God work in people's lives over and over and over again. And that's why, you know, you know what, like, the part that, like, frustrates me is that I wish I could do this for you. So you can see, I want, I want you to do this for you and see what God will do, but I can't. It's a step that you have to take. And as you take the step in your relationship with God, here's what happens. God then begins to work in your life and bless you in ways that you never even dreamed possible. And so here's, here's what the challenge is. You commit. So you say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to bring the full tithe for 90 days. And not only that, but here's how we want to partner with you. Several years ago, I read this book that's called The Treasure Principle. This book was such a big influence in my life because it really uh, unlocked for me um, the, the, the power of, and the joy of giving. And so what I want to do is, I mean, this book's like, like 12 bucks or 10 bucks or something, and um, I, I want to send this to you as, as my gift to you, as my encouragement to you. And so if you, if you make sure that you give us like a, a work, you know, like your address, and then you check that off on the back, we will put this in the mail to you tomorrow. But here's the other thing. And this is the part that I think is most important. What I think is most important is not only that you're saying, uh, we're going to send you the book and you're going you're to bring the full tithe, but here's the other thing, is that you, you make this promise to me that you're going to email me the stories of what God does. You say, well, why is that? Because God is going to do something, because he always does something amazing when we start honoring him. In fact, I got this, this uh, email not that long ago. Let me read it to you. Uh, Pastor Bob, I've been attending Calvary faithfully for four months now and was involved in the most recent 90-day tithe challenge. Uh, this email is in regard to the blessing which I received from that direct act of faith. In times of economic despair and countless people losing their job, my company decided to reward those who worked hard for them the second quarter of last year by giving them a bonus for their efforts. This bonus has never been made in our company's 32-year history. And for those who qualified, and I was one of them, I received a bonus of $5,000. I know that this came, this benefit came from my faithfulness in tithing and God's faithfulness, and I look forward to tithing 500 from the 5000 that I received. Thank you for your efforts and leadership. God bless. And then he signs his name. Listen, in my office, I have a folder jam-packed of stories just like that. Packed. In fact, when I, when I teach this stuff, most of the time, I pull them out at random. I pull them out at random. Say, oh, I'm going to tell three of them. And I just pull them out at random. And the stories are absolutely amazing because we see it over and over and over again of what God does. And say, well, I, don't take my word for it. Take the word for it of, 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 of people just like us that have just taken the challenge and God has worked amazingly in their lives. And see... Now, I share all of this at the risk of those that maybe, you know, you're not from a church background and, you know, maybe it's your first or second time here and you're like, I knew he was going to do the money thing and that's what churches are. Listen, 
Um, if you've been here for any length of time, you know this isn't something that we talk about all the time. But I do know this, that stewardship, which is managing what God has entrusted to us, is part of what it means to follow Jesus. It's part of what it means to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus. And that being the case, this is something that we need to talk about. Why? Because God wants us to live a blessed life in every area of our lives. And listen, when we experience this, when we say, God, I'm going to take the step, when we do our part, God does his part, and then we experience the blessing to the point of overflow. Now, follow the progression that's happened here. The question is, who do we want to lead us? If we decide it's Jesus, there's a blessed life. If we decide it's somebody else or something else, it's a life of mayhem, pain, destruction. That what we thought was going to be peace ends up being war. We thought was going to be prosperity ends up being pain in time of economic crisis. But then there's the last seal that's open in verses 7 and 8. And here's what we see. He says, then I opened, he opened the fourth seal and I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see And I looked and behold, a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him. And the power and power was given to him, to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death and by the beasts of the earth. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last question we need to answer. So what kind of life do you want? The fourth rider brings death. That's why he's this this pale horse. He brings disease. He brings plague. Contrary. Now listen to the contrast of the followers of Jesus, the followers of, the, of, of, of our God. Here's, here's what God says in the book of Exodus. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptian, for I am the Lord who heals you. You see that? That there's this promise of, of life and death once again. And that God would say this, is that there, there's this, you know, there, there's things that if you live a, certain, a different type of lifestyle than, than, than one of a believer, you have fear. There's a, a real fear of contracting something that could actually bring death to you. But a person who's a believer living a different kind of life, honoring their body the way God wants them to honor their body, they don't have that kind of fear. Why? Because it's part of the blessing of living the kind of life that God wants us to live. That's why in the book of Proverbs, Solomon, the writer, would say that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end leads to death. I want you to think about that, that there's a way of living that we might think will actually bring us life, but it ends up robbing us of life. And think about Jesus came to save us from that. Jesus would say that the enemies only come to steal, kill, and destroy, John chapter 10 says. He says, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And listen, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, to have him forgive you of of your past, to have him come into your life and have a place in your kingdom in the future, and to have peace in the present, listen, that's the first step. That's where we begin. If you're here and you're a Christian and you say, man, I... I hear what you're saying, and I've been following someone else, and it hasn't been Jesus. Then maybe God has you here today for the place of us turning around, changing directions, and going the way that he wants us to go, recommitting our lives in a, in a different kind of way, committing ourselves to him. Where how can it begin? How can it happen? As simple as calling out to God. So let's pray together. And Lord, I do want to thank you for...
the fact that you offer us life, that you give us the choice. And God, I pray that all of us would choose wisely. So Lord, help us. Help us to be who you've called us to be, to live the kind of life you've called us to live, to make the right choice. For your sake, God. And for those of us who maybe haven't made a decision to follow you, Lord, God, may we call out and just say, Dear God, forgive me. Come into my life because I want to know you. I thank you for Jesus who died for me. God, we know that a prayer prayed in sincerity that you will hear, you will answer, and you will act. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.